Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The 175th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a jailbreak screen across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Well, uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to do many of those jailbreak screens anymore. We got knocked out of the playoffs, and uh, the topper season is done, um, but not without some accolades. I uh, got to give a shout out to our quarterback who. Went over three thousand yards passing. He went. Um, we went over. We went over forty five hundred as a total unit. We had another guy go over a thousand in all purpose yards, and had three receivers at or over eight hundred yards. So, um, even though our record didn't reflect it, lots of accomplishment um, throughout the whole team. So. Yeah, tough way to end the season. Sorry to hear about that, Coach. But uh, a man who also was at a losing game this weekend, unfortunately. It's our third amigo in the second city. And uh, a man who I assume will be exercising his civic duty come Tuesday. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cutt. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, in a personal side note, ross Stadium, 0-2. That matches... Pasadena, the Rose Bowl, the only stadium I've been to that I'm over to at. That's, those are two very different environments, to say the least. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, ironically, ironically, the whole Georgia uh, Auburn rivalry matchup. Mm-hmm. Out of all the years that Georgia just completely owned Auburn, I'm 0 and 2 when I attend Jordan Air Stadium. Just so you know. So. I'm with you there. We have a lot of football to cover from this weekend, so we will start with some quick slants. Josh, uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about that trip to West Lafayette? Yeah, well, I loaded up the grill. The tailgate was good, and then uh, then I had to watch Iowa be coached by the dumbest coaching staff in America, so that's always fun. Uh, I mean, where to start? Where to start? How about uh, Noah Fant, 85 yards on three receptions. I believe he had three receptions on about three or four targets. Got to give him the ball. Got to give him the ball more. That's just terrible play calling. Uh, Makai Sargent, he has emerged as the best back. Torin Young has emerged as the best, like, secondary back because of his power. Yet the staff claims that Ivory Kelly Martin is Iowa's best back and gave him 10 carries. He's not Iowa's best back. He's a... Nice developing player. I think he could have a nice future. But this three-headed monster is weighing us down and not letting anyone get into a rhythm. Can't do that. And then this leads right to the questionable coaching. Iowa loses on a last-second field goal. They lose 38-36. But, Coach, this is why I need you to help me out. Help me understand what's going through a coach's mind. Third 
quarter, Iowa scores a touchdown, makes it 23-28. Third quarter, nine minutes left in the third quarter. Nine minutes left in the third quarter. Yeah, nine minutes left in the third quarter. Iowa goes for two to make it 25-28. They don't get it. Later in the game, when they take the lead, 36-35, they do the smart thing and go for two to get up by a field goal. They didn't get it. Uh, If I slide some stuff on my slide rule and and do some careful calculations, I'm showing that uh, if they just kick two point afters, it's a tie game. Why are they chasing points in the third quarter, Coach? Well, they chase points later on because they chase points in the third quarter. Um, I think that set everything back. I think they should have just kicked the uh, the extra point there in the third quarter and then let, let the rest of the scenarios play out. I, I think when they scored to go up 36-35, that was the good call right there. Great. And, you know, even if you kick the extra point, a field goal can still beat you. So, you know, what's, what's one point in that scenario? But they get themselves in trouble by thinking they have to, you know, go for two then in the third quarter. And so early in the third quarter, too, it just it baffles me because it almost shows like a lack of confidence, to be honest with you. Well, they hadn't stopped Purdue all day, so I'm wondering why they thought that they would hold Purdue at 28 points and then Iowa manages to kick a field goal to tie the game at some point. They, I think they panicked there in the third quarter because, you know, maybe – Maybe things stabilize. I, I don't know. Maybe they continue to not stop Purdue. So, you know, yeah. maybe they thought they, they had to get as many points as they could because they don't know when the next time it would be that close. Well, I, I don't want to jinx them. I don't want to jinx them. But <clears throat> uh, Miguel Racinos, maybe they just thought he was due to miss a point after uh, considering he, uh, 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 he hasn't missed one in his entire career. <laughs> Terrible coaching. They are a dog crap program to have to follow. It, to all young kids out there, just just become a fan of any other freaking program. Well, that uh, could lead them to the University of Maryland, which we don't want to do that. All right, all right. Pick a team coached by people with brain cells. Okay, well, speaking Minnesota. of... <laughs> Speaking of poor coaching decisions this weekend, Dan Mullen made a lot of them. Yes, he did. Well, first thing I want to say uh, with this whole, uh, I guess with this whole thing is uh, it's not a good look when you lose and you lose to a team that you have no business losing. You get your butt kicked and then (laughs) You challenge every reporter in the in the press room to a thumb war. He said, "You want a thumb war? Well, come up here. I'll beat your ass." That was a direct quote. Look that out if you want to. Um, <laughs> he just went on to say, "Where?" I think he was saying that to to say that there's no leadership in the locker room. I don't know where that connects, but um, so <laughs> if Drew Locke wanted a, a game to get back on track, this is definitely. Um, one of them, he was 24-32 for 250, and uh, he threw to three different receivers. He spread the ball around. He was comfortable. You know, 
much more comfortable than he was a week ago against uh, what was a very good defense in uh, in Kentucky. Um, but you know, I'm not going to talk about Missouri. They look good. They look good on both sides of the ball. But uh, Felipe Franks, he got he got benched. Um, well, it was about time. I mean, he was yeah. nine for twenty two, and not even getting four yards per attempt at that point. So, so back up. I don't really I, personally. I don't think Kyle Trask is necessarily the answer, though, in the long term. No, no, he's not. But he did promptly direct a seventy-five yard touchdown drive. Uh, he converted two fourth downs. So um, I, I guess he either found a <laughs> that's just desperation. Though. That was just pure. Or desperation yeah, point. no, it was. It was. I'm not. I'm not basing anything off that. But I mean, <laughs> if you're a Florida fan, I don't know what you take away with this because a your starting quarterback, which you were beating your chest about two weeks ago before the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, uh, plays so poorly he gets benched. The backup comes in, scores a 75-yard touchdown, albeit total desperation, but still he comes right in, marches right down the field, and you're just like, what? Uh, Missouri just puts on an offensive clinic, and your head coach is a weirdo. In the press conference, <laughs> so I don't know what makes it worse. Whoa. Oh, and the fact that the fact that you uh, are having to drive home in your jean shorts—I I don't. That's you know, that's got to suck. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, I, well, I mean, I guess I will say this though for Missouri, uh, just to find the silver lining of what was a unusual uh, poor performance by those those Gators. But this is two years in a row for Drew Locke. They just he. He just picks apart that secondary, and this is one of the wins that really sparked them on that winning streak last year to get to a bowl game. So it's just Missouri being Missouri. That's yeah. Right. You know, Mullen, though, not the only coach in the state of Florida making some questionable decisions. Uh, coach, your old head man, Mark Rick, doing some weird, weird stuff with the quarterbacks at Miami. Oh I, I don't, God. I really don't think he has any clue what he's I, doing. With I think, I think, I think he does know what he's doing. He's trying to uh, get early retirement. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the heck he's doing as far as the quarterback situation, but yeah, I think he's. I, I don't know if he's uh, ready to get out of there or what. But, but oh my God, <laughs> I have, I have. I, I cannot, for the life of me, interpret what is happening down there in Coral Gables. Maybe he's after a really hot recruit, and he wants to show the recruit that he has nothing to fear about the people on his roster. <laughs> that, that, that's playing the extra long game right there. All right. Well, I'm going to stick in the ACC, move on up from Miami to uh, uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, because in what is becoming a running routine around here, I'm going to start with the Syracuse Orange. They ran for 264 yards and five touchdowns on the ground at Wake Forest Saturday afternoon en route to a 41-24 victory over the Demon Deeks. Eric Dungy, not his best game throwing the ball. He only got 157 yards on 35 attempts, but he ran for a buck 20 in a score. Uh, up and down game for Wake Forest. Freshman Sam Har- quarterback Sam Hartman threw for 275 yards and two touchdowns, but also had three turnovers. The Orange at this point are 7-2, and, and they should have a walkover 
uh, next week at home against Louisville, but they close with two uh, pretty difficult games against Notre Dame and at Boston College. On the other hand, Wake Forest drops to one and four in conference, uh, and they still have to finish up with NC State, home for Pitt, and at Duke. They could lose all three of those and miss out on a bowl game. That would be uh, not great for a team that was off to a really good start this season. Um, but Josh, I know that uh, what, one thing that you predicted is uh, halfway there and going on in Kansas. <laughs> Beatty's gone, and uh, Bert's coming in the tea leaves, right? I mean, that was my theory at the beginning of the season, and it's just because Jeff Long, the guy that hired him at Arkansas, uh, Long kept him around. Long essentially lost his job at Arkansas because of his devotion to Brett Bielema. So they obviously have a very good working relationship. Uh, I think Brett Bielema's brand of football could be interesting in the Big 12 with so many... Just because it's so different? Yeah, and I I mean, sometimes when the entire conference is zigging, if you zag, maybe you become a tough matchup. Saw a little bit of that with Iowa State developing such a good defensive scheme. So that was one thing that caught my eye. But speaking about defensive schemes, Minnesota, they fired Rob Smith, their defensive coordinator. And this is big because P.J. Fleck is in his second year. Mm-hmm. He's 9-12, 3-12 mm-hmm. overall. Um, the team looks like it's taken a big step back. That he was not hired off of an epically awful Minnesota team. In 2016, the Gophers won nine games, and their defense was 21st in the country. So in a little over a year and a half, P.J. Fleck and Rob Smith have burned a good defensive program down to the ground and have totally destroyed it. So... I don't think it's hyperbole, and the Gopher blogs and news sources have mentioned it as well, so I'm not coming up with a revolutionary idea, but this defensive coordinator hire will determine if P.J. Fleck is going to have his job there or not because the fans are legitimately irate that Fleck hires his friend, who hasn't had a good track record as a defensive coordinator, destroys the best part of the team, and, you know, we jokingly laugh at the row the boat stuff, but Minnesota fans, they legitimately hate it because this is a team and a program with multiple national titles. They are in the Big Ten. They are a historically proud place, and you're putting freaking boat oars on their helmets. So they don't like this guy. They're looking for a reason to get rid of him. If the defensive coordinator doesn't work out, the fans are going to be sharpening the knives for him. And I also think it'll be a good case to see where does the university stand on P.J. Fleck? Because they can open up the purse strings or not. They can call up Gene Chizik, who's just retired and hanging out down in Auburn to be closer to his family. They can offer him a boatload of money, and maybe he'll come up. Who knows? Worked out for North Carolina. That's the one time North Carolina was good was when they had Gene Chizik. Or they can just go the cheap route and get someone for like three, you know, 350 grand a year 
go super duper cheap. And if they do that route, you can end the PJ Fleck era already. All right. Well, I for one, I'll, I'll take three hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> just saying well you know part of me wants pj fuck to go because i think he's a black mark on the big 10 the other part of me wants him to stay so that wisconsin can just keep beating them hey matt the way wisconsin's been playing this year don't sign those checks that they might not be able to cash okay, okay. you know what? <laughs> i'm not saying i'm like feel myself after like a, a two touchdown victory against rutgers at home that was pathetic. By the way, uh, I called that on our spread formations. Uh, guys, this week, I, uh, I was in the lead again. Uh, I went three and two. Coach went two and three. Josh went one and four. Who did I miss? I'm being consistent, though. I like it. Yeah. So uh, we uh, all of us were on Iowa State covering that 14-and-a-half-point spread. Uh, at Kansas, uh, Coach and I both picked Rutgers uh, to cover the 30-point spread at Wisconsin, and I picked Baylor at home to cover against Oklahoma State, and they ended up winning outright. We were we all picked Ohio State and Army to cover at home. Both teams won, neither team covered. But, Coach, uh, another interesting game around the SEC this weekend was the matchup between Texas A&M and Auburn. Yeah, I mean, it was uh... – it was definitely a fun one to watch. Um, it featured one of the highlights of it was Trevion Williams had a uh, snatched a one-handed screen pass, um, broke, uh, you know, 18 tackles from 82,000 people and <laughs> scored from 14 yards out. So um, obviously a little hyperbole there, but he did really catch the ball with one hand. He did really break multiple tackles and bowl his way to the end zone. But, um you know, it was one of those things where uh, a friend of mine actually called me, uh, who's an Auburn grad, and he said, well, Auburn won that game in just about as Auburn of a fashion as you could. Um, so a freshman catching 11-yard touchdown um, with 141 left uh, was just kind of how they did it. You know, you're, you're, you're surprised that a freshman who hadn't really contributed a whole lot um, contributed here in, in a big way. So uh, he went up and got one there. Uh, I think, Matt, you texted, uh, did, did Texas A&M score too quickly? And the answer is no. Nope. Yes. Well, no, did they? I well, just, they couldn't stop them afterward. That was, that was the problem. Was yeah, it, no, it, I, I zero defense whatsoever. Yeah, and, and as, as bad as their defense was, you know, they scored. You know, you, you never want to fault a team for scoring, but, um, you know, they just, you know, 14 unanswered in the uh, in the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where Stidham finally played well. The offensive line was a, was a roller coaster, which is not abnormal. Um, it was just a kind of a back-and-forth game, a very entertaining game, um, especially if you like offense. And, uh, you know, Trevion Williams, you know, of course, ran for 107 yards and scored twice. He also caught five for 75 and added a third one. Uh, and that touchdown was the one I just described where um, he just went beast mode. But um, 
Texas A&M, oddly enough, didn't complete a pass until the final play of the first quarter. Um, and uh, Auburn's run defense, you know, I, that's another big takeaway. They weren't very good. Um, and A&M just uh, – they couldn't stop a nosebleed either, really. Um, so and what concerns me about Auburn is their running game still isn't producing anything. Uh, they netted minus 14 yards in the first quarter. Uh, their offense went three and out six times. And that just kind of that just kind of reflects just how poor they are up front and just how one-dimensional they are. Uh, they play a Georgia team this this week that um, well, we'll get to that here in a little bit about what they face in uh, in that Georgia defense. But um, you know, lots of good things down the stretch, but it was an ugly, ugly game until these two teams woke up. But it was fun to watch down down the stretch, I so will say. All right. Well, for my final slant, uh, I wanted to cover something a little, uh, I want to say off the beaten path, but, um, you know, there were a ton of other good games around FBS, but there was the game of the year in the Ivy League. So, uh, and that was between Dartmouth and Princeton. Both teams came into this matchup at, with 7-0 and records. And while Princeton's offense had been the talk of the town so far this season, it was in fact their defense that led the way in the 14 to nine victory coach just mentioned uh, ugly game. Well, this was a pretty ugly game throughout Uh, the Tigers held Dartmouth to 213 yards of total offense and were especially effective in shutting down uh, dual threat jumbo quarterback, Jared Gerbino. Uh, He had only 36 yards and no scores on the ground. Uh, the Big Green, though, were able to keep uh, Tiger wide receiver Jesper Horstead uh, under 100 yards for the first time this season, and they kept him out of the end zone. Uh, Tiger quarterback John Lovett ran it in twice. Dartmouth had their chances to win uh, in the fourth quarter multiple times. They got good field position, but couldn't even manage a first down. In fact, they didn't get a, f- a first down within the last 25 minutes of the entire game. Princeton now up to number 11 in the FCS coaches poll, but because of these silly Ivy League rules, they will not be eligible for the postseason. So even though this is a a fantastically good Princeton team and an equally good Dartmouth team, uh, these teams basically, I feel like if you play 10 games, it's going to be 5-5, five, 6-4 five, at best for one of them. So... But still, because the Ivy League decides that postseason athletics, or specifically uh, postseason football, is not appropriate for the student athletes, uh, they do not get to participate. So, all right, guys, with that, uh, time to get out your number two pencils and grab uh, your blue books because it is time for the pop quiz. Guys, uh, pretty straightforward question. Since 1920, there have been 20 schools who have had 35 or more points in 10 consecutive games. You need to name those 20 schools. Josh, I will start with you. Well, whenever it comes to scoring, I'm going to go with the vintage Chip Kelly Oregon teams and assume that they do whatever scoring challenge you give us. That is correct. Well, uh, I'm going to start in the Mountain West. I'm going to go with the Boise State Broncos. That is also correct. Uh, Josh. Terrible pro quarterback. One of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. VY. Give me Texas. Uh, Texas. uh, Sorry, Josh. Incorrect. That is your first strike. 
Ooh. Really? Um, never mind. I'm sorry. I did not write that down on my paper correctly. Texas <laughs> is actually correct. Uh, disregard my <laughs> statement. And Coach, have you noticed that it- during the Vince Young era? He's he's a tenured professor now, so he can make these mistakes. I know. I was gonna say, like last show, the very first team coach says is Nebraska. Nebraska. And you're giving the wrap up. You don't even. <laughs> you're like, I can't believe you guys didn't get Nebraska. <laughs> I don't think they're making this list. Hey though. guys, guys, see what happens. I know. I bet at this point, I'm freaking professor emeritus. Like I can do whatever <laughs> I want, and no one can say anything. <laughs> I run the department. <laughs> yeah, that, that you do. Department of yeah. BS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Going off the rails on a crazy train. Uh, with um, that, Coach, what's your next guess? Well, you can't talk about a list of scoring without saying uh, Beavis and Butthead. I mean, uh, BYU. Brigham Young University. Um, sorry, Coach. That is incorrect. Their longest streak was only eight games. Are you wow. sure you got that written down correctly? Yes, I am 100% sure. I'm going to question every single time. <laughs> uh, man, that was a good guess. I would have been where my guess is. Um, let's see. Let's see. Well, uh, between having uh, Kevin Wilson there and – a pirate way, way back. Also, uh, those Stoops teams put up a lot. They've continued to hear with Lincoln Riley. I'm going to go with the Sooners. Oklahoma, that is correct. They've done it twice. They have uh, a streak of 13 games back in the 2008 season. Nice. Uh, nice. Coach. Well, uh, we've made it through week 10, and – so Alabama has got to be on that list. Uh, sorry, Coach. Uh, it's only uh, eight straight for Alabama at this point. <laughs> but at any point since 1920, have they scored? Nope. Their their current streak is their longest. Do you have that written down wrong? No, I do not. It's <laughs> got to be wrong. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. Says the national championship game in Sugar Bowl. That's, that's I, I'm just going by what that's college football reference tells me. That's 10. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think uh, I think Coach is right. Let's bring it up. Let's have a quick uh, quick pause here. Okay. Okay. I will. I will uh, let someone do some vamping, and I will bring up Alabama. So uh, anyone? So here we go. Nick Saban, because this is the easiest way to search stuff, is to just look at a coach's record. So 2018, 2017, they have scored – 35 points every okay. week, except this week when they had just 29. That's so great. they were at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight straight to start this year. So they need two from last year. 
they won the title game coach 26-23, and they beat Clemson 24-26. So neither of those counted. All right. And before that, they scored just 14 points in the Iron Bowl. Well, they got their rear ends handed to them then. All right. All right. So we've got the the research proves the professor correct. Right. Oh. <laughs> I said corrected. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Uh, Josh, you're up 3-1. So your, like, 1920 thing is tripping me up. So I'm Okay, because uh, I'll give you the reason. Because it, if you did it before 1920, you got a ton of Ivy League schools and other very wacky random – like, it tripled the number uh, of potential schools. Uh, Most of them were either Ivies or, you know, all right. very obscure. So I just like, wanted to keep it as modern okay. teams. Well, because 1920 includes a lot of good teams, uh, I am going to throw out for you my beloved mid-50s Iowa Hawkeyes. Why not? Uh, Sorry, Josh, that is incorrect. Um, They do not have a streak of at least six. Well, you might have written it down wrong, though. So uh, just, I'm, uh, I know I'm right on this one. <laughs> Coach. No, I guarantee it. Uh, well, crap. I'm about to get struck out here. Here, here comes that 0-2 uh, slider on the inside corner. Um, so right now I'm one for one for three. So I better come correct with this one. I'm going to say... The Buckeyes. The Ohio State University. Uh, sorry, their longest streak is seven consecutive games. And that would be, they did that twice, once in 2014 and 15, and once in 2015 and 16. That is strike three. Josh, anything else off the top of your head? Well, I had a few oddballs written down. Uh, one of the oddballs was the great Matt Johnson quarterback led Dino Babers coached Bowling Green Falcon team. That is correct. Um, they put up a lot of points. Yep. They did that. They had two streaks of, ten, of 10 or better. Um, we never went with the pirate. So I would throw, um, I would throw Texas tech in there just because as Washington state teams have been a little bit more erratic. Uh, Texas Tech is also correct. Back in 2008, they did 10 consecutive games. Uh, I would be inclined. That was a uh, Michael Crabtree season. Okay. I would be inclined to give, based on the Big 12's unwillingness to play defense, um, back when RG3 was shredding defenses, maybe Baylor? Yep. Uh, Baylor has the third longest streak, 13 consecutive games. Um, maybe because of the 1920 thing, I would contemplate the service academies, uh, Minnesota. And then lastly, I had jotted down, uh, the other team that you always think of with big offenses, um, Oklahoma state, because they've had obviously Gundy now, but before that they also had you know, freaking Barry Sanders. Uh, Barry Sanders is the correct answer for that. Yeah, he led them to 10 straight uh, games back in uh, 87 and 88. <clears throat> so, well done. Um, wow. Team, teams you missed, Nebraska, 
back in 95-96. They went 13 in a row. Uh, Oregon did have the longest streak back in 2011-2012. They went 15 in a row with 35-plus. Teams you missed included Florida State, um, uh, Nebraska, Texas A&M, Stanford, Houston, Fresno State, South Florida, Hawaii, Marshall, Washington, Clemson, and Western Kentucky. So, all right. Well, with that, let's get to the deep roots. And we'll start as the game that was billed as the game of the century, but ended up being kind of a snoozer. Uh, Alabama went into Baton Rouge and had their way with the Bayou Bengals, 29-0. Not a lot went right for LSU. Probably their greatest achievement of the game was either uh, the fact that they were able to pick off Tua for the first time all season or that they made him play in the fourth quarter for the first time all year. Coach, uh, but what really impressed me was Bama's D. They just straight up showed up. Yeah, they really did. Um, and I, I don't know how much of it was Bama's defense and LSU's just inability to finish off drives. I mean, you saw it two weeks prior to this, before their bye week, it was death by field goals. And uh, for the longest time until Georgia broke the dam, it was death by field goal in that game. And it was, you know, Georgia was in it late in the fourth quarter, and then the dam just broke. But um you know, against Mississippi State, it was field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal. They moved the ball, but they couldn't finish a drive. And that's because they can't handle superior defensive lines. If if, if you have if you're really good against the run game against LSU, you know, I, I love Joe Burrow. I think he's a good quarterback, but I just don't think their passing game um and their pass protection is can hold up against teams with the elite pass rushers and elite defensive linemen. What Georgia didn't have was an elite defensive lineman. They get beat. What Mississippi State didn't have was depth, but their defensive line kept a minute till the end. And then, uh, so, yes, I do like Alabama's defense a lot. I do like their team a lot as, as in terms of how talented they are, and they're probably favored in most matchups across the board. You, you go linebacker to linebacker, and, Alabama's probably going to win that, you know, on paper. You go, you know, you match up units against any other team. There's probably a reason why Alabama's been killing people. But, um, Matt, I think with this game, one text message summed it up the most. And you said, quote, Tua is a blank cheat code. Yeah, that's how I feel. It's not fair that they finally have – an elite quarterback because they've so always had you, everything else. They've so always let me ask you this. Oh, what, by the way, I'm going to apologize right now. There is a tornado alarm going off in my neighborhood at the moment. Yeah, I'm hearing the same one. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, would you consider Tua the Cyclones? <laughs> Iowa State's rolling into town. Um, <laughs> would you consider Tua the greatest quarterback to ever go through Alabama? Not yet. But Joe Namath. Joe Willie. Joe Willie. Um, and no, I don't think he has the career. McElroy. I was going to say, I don't think he has the career <laughs> achievements of AJ McCarron yet. <laughs> no, he doesn't have the career achievements. I mean, what is it? Because McCarron have what, three titles? Yeah. Two, at least two, if not three but, titles. But, two, McCarron, if, McCarron's if, defensive run. That's like saying Buck Ballou has, has uh, <laughs> Georgia's most recent. Buck Blue wasn't winning that national championship. It was uh, Herschel Walker and Georgia's junkyard dog defense. But um, 
same with uh, McCarron. McCarron. McCarron's had a. I mean, he's still he's still on NFL roster, so I guess that speaks volumes. So Kenny Stabler, too much. Yeah, the Snake, Bart Star, Bart Star, Bertie Croyle. <laughs> uh, Philip Sims. <laughs> Greg McElroy. <sighs> well, in uh, Josh, this, we, we this can, is about where this this is about okay. where this game is headed. Yeah. Me. So okay. So Josh, I was thinking. I, I I'm parroting off of uh, probably Stu Gotts, but I was thinking. If we constructed a team of Alabama versus the best position groups combined from every other team in the country, who would win the game? So I'm saying, like, you can you would have Alabama as constructed plus a team made up of, like, Clemson's defensive line, Michigan's linebackers, and LSU's D-backs. Who has the advantage in that game? Because I think, I think it still might be Alabama. No, it's the zombie team. Because it's the same argument as Alabama versus an NFL team. That's what an NFL team is. Yeah, when you when you group the best of the best of the best into one team, look, Alabama's going to give them hell. Alabama's going to be competitive for half, but um, you know, it it's just Alabama's the deepest college football team. They're still not as deep as if you're picking the best parts of around college football. Uh, now there are a very very few exceptions. For instance. If the Buffalo Bills played Nathan Peterman for four quarters, yeah, I might pick Alabama on that game. Oh, I think Alabama's favored by two touchdowns. Yeah. But for the most part, like that back when it was the whole like Cleveland Browns or Alabama, it was just stop. Yeah, I <laughs> I was driving uh, for Uber and uh I took a guy from uh, this was during CMA Fest. I took a guy from uh the down the middle of downtown Nashville all the way out to Hendersonville. Um, at three o'clock in the morning, which if you don't know where Hendersonville is, that's okay. Neither do I really, but it's 45 minutes away, uh, one way. And we had the debate about the Cleveland Browns and Alabama. And I would say that, um, the paramedics would get their fair share of action in that game. Um, because professional athletes, especially the ones up front are far superior and, that game would be over by the end of the first quarter. It would it would be like if Hillwood played Vanderbilt. Wouldn't it would be over right away? You wouldn't be able to finish the game. There, you wouldn't have any bodies left over there for Alabama. Truthfully, yeah. If if, if you want my honest opinion. Well, then that was pretty well yeah. debunked. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a fun thought experiment, but it's just. Um, and I, I'm not saying like the best yeah. of the best of the best. I'm not saying you're getting like the all the top draft draft picks. I'm just saying like as a position group. So you know you have to take the good with the bad. It would it would be fun to. Watch. I think it's a fun thought experiment, you know, nonetheless. Yeah, but I, yeah. I think I, I think there's an arg- argument to be made that Alabama has a couple of the best position groups in the countries at I mean college court. to college. Yeah, college to college. I think Alabama's position groups might, you know, be, you know, as good or better than everyone at every single level. I'm I'm with you there, college to college. Yeah. Um I mean who's who's got better receivers? No one. Who's got better running backs? No one. 
who's got a better quarterback? I don't know if you saw DeAndre. Okay, okay, okay. So there, I I wrote down, uh, I wrote down Georgia for that for my running backs. For a quarter, I mean, if you just get to pick one quarterback against Tua, Tua still, still healthy McKenzie Milton. He already beat him in Hawaii. Yeah, so I McKenzie Milton was the first name I wrote down, oh. followed by uh, Will, I mean, Will Greer, Kyler Murray, and then and then you got to give some love to uh, Gardner Minshew. Uh, the, no. the, the mustachioed bandit. Yeah. Listen, man. I mean, I mean, Cal's I'm not got, taking him over. Cal's, Bolton, got a, Cal's got a good defense, but uh, they only scored 19 points. Still, I mean, Cal, 19 points. I mean, like, everyone's due for one of those games. But you know what? The defense held up. So, uh, Tracy Clay's uh, the best coach that Minnesota's had in a long time. Now coaching at Washington State. Way to go, Gophers. All right. I think we spoke enough about that. We can continue from uh, Minnesota to Michigan and Penn State. Uh, it was a game of sweet, sweet revenge for the Wolverines at home. They walled Penn State 42-7. Uh, six different players scored six touchdowns for Coach Khaki Pants and Michigan. Josh, was this a case of Michigan's D just overwhelming Penn State or just bad execution on the part yeah. of the Nittany Lions? Well, you know, Penn State was just content with being great again, and it's, it's hard to be elite when you are content with being great. Um, no, I mean, this just was um, – it was a little surprising that the game got out of hand um, the way it did, but Michigan winning was not a surprise. And I sort of thought Michigan might win closer to, like, 28-7. to 7. Like, I didn't expect it to be a close game. Um, Michigan scored a little bit more than I thought they would, but it was like we talked about in the preview show. Penn State just does not have enough offensive weapons. Uh, Penn State has a phenomenal college quarterback. I have no idea what Trace McSorley will do at the next level, but he's proven it in his career. He is a phenomenal collegiate quarterback. The problem is the wide receiver core is really young. They have no tight ends, and – they have some good running backs, but they don't have a singular talent like Saquon Barkley. So when Penn State had success in this matchup in recent times, it's because they kept Michigan off balance. They had, you know, does Michigan go in a nickel package or and then have a terrible matchup nightmare with a, you know, defensive back on a tight end or – do they go base and then not be able to cover all the wide receivers as best they want to? There's not that matchup nightmare anymore. Penn State is handcuffed by just graduating so many good players and having a couple leave early for the pros and things like that. Michigan's a phenomenal defense, but this is not a Penn State offense that's as scary as it has been in recent seasons. Yeah, and – you know, on a personal note, I think that the Penn State-Wisconsin game this week is going to be an interesting test of two teams that have, you know, started the season with pretty high hopes and have gone pretty far downhill. But, uh, Coach, uh, in this one, you know, uh, we talked at about Penn State's struggle on offense, but Michigan's offense really got going on the ground. And, you know, I, Michigan's kind of scary when they get the run game going. Oh, yeah. I mean – you know, it's it's one thing to have 
um, a really good, extremely talented quarterback in Shea Patterson, it's even better when he's not relied on to win the game. He only threw 17 passes. He threw 17 passes. They took him out in the fourth quarter, um, and his backup broke his collarbone. So, you know, that sucks. But, uh, I mean, it's just it, it's amazing what this offense can do. And they just, you know, if you told me that Michigan was going to win 42-7 to and Shea Patterson was going only going to have to throw 17 passes, I'd tell you you're freaking nuts. And uh, I would say maybe, I don't know, the defense would have scored three-fourths of those touchdowns. but They scored one of them. They scored one. So, But still, the offense put up 35 without really throwing all that much. That's scary um, because, I mean, they have weapons um, in the receiving core, Donovan Peoples-Jones um, and, uh, and Zach Gentry are, are two targets that come to mind for, uh, for Michigan. And it's just, my goodness, it's it's uh, it's good. Uh, Tariq Black, he he's another name that um, that's that took a huge step in his comeback um, from foot surgery. He had foot surgery, and uh, he caught a touchdown pass. Uh, unfortunately, it was negated by penalty, but still, a catch is a catch is a catch. So, um, you know, extremely impressed by what Michigan did offensively, um, and uh, the old khakis made sure that he put it, put his stamp uh, again on the Big Ten. This was personal from the get-go. You could just see the fire in their eyes. And uh, the fighting khakis um, made sure that they uh, let Penn State know what – I, I think they thought Penn State was confused on what an elite program looked like. So they showed them in good fashion. So, yeah. I, I think this is proving yet again that James Franklin, great recruiter, not the greatest in-game decision maker. No. no uh, absolutely. So. He, uh, he, he continues to kind of and, – and Ricky Rane looks even worse. And I, I think you just – like James Franklin has this confused look on his face at, at all times. It just kind of feels like he's – like. He's seeing everything Michigan's doing for the first time, and Michigan's probably not doing anything new that they haven't already done. So it's it's odd, um, kind of the way they they are, because it, sometimes they look extremely, excuse me, sometimes they look extremely elite. You know, look like they're on the verge of making that jump from good to great, and other times they look like they're getting ready to jump down a couple steps from good to well it would be great if someone called us mediocre but we're not even that good so uh this was one of those days 75 yards of total offense it, yeah not the greatest day for yeah. the Nets. Mm-hmm. well there was another top 10 matchup in the sec and it went down about as expected at least in the final score in lexington georgia winning handily 34 to 17 Coach DeAndre Swift, another outstanding game. Uh, the Dogs' ground game overall was mighty impressive against the Wildcat team that had been one of the best defenses in the conference. Yeah, they, I think they were the number one defense in the conference, not just one of the best. I think they were the number one in uh, in total defense and scoring. Um, they just were stymieing people. I mean, you saw what Missouri did against Florida. Uh, they held them to just 14 points and uh, and, and just made them – give them fits all day long. But Georgia, 
you know, I, I know the score thirty four seventeen doesn't is not as wide of a margin as this game was at one point. At one point, this game was twenty eight to three, and Georgia was getting ready to uh, to blow them out. But Georgia turned the ball over twice and uh, made this and, and let them back in. And Georgia's defense kind of got lazy there towards the end and, and let Kentucky kind of back in. But um, a lot of young guys. What's scary is a lot of the a lot of the young uh, freshmen, five star freshmen we're getting some of their first significant playing time on defense. I tell you what, I've been talking about the the battle at inside linebacker. Holy cow, Channing Tindall came through on that one. He he looked he looked like a young Roquan Smith. I'm not going to give him that comparison yet. He's not Roquan. I think you kind of just did by saying he, he's 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 saying not Roquan. That. He 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 looked sort of like a young no 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 he's saying that when Roquan was a young inexperienced player this young and inexperienced player has some of the same shades there you go yeah to compare to Roquan would be saying oh he's just like Roquan Smith he's not 2017 Roquan yes 20 2015 Roquan okay so uh but yeah Channing Tindall looked looked just one of the faster inside linebackers that I've seen. Um, again, uh, you know, you talk about running backs, and you're thinking, man, this is a, a stellar matchup. Swift, Holyfield versus Benny Snell. It's going to be not Benny Snell didn't do anything. Um, and Georgia proved yet again that you can run a tempo offense, pass heavy offense, and still get all your running in. Uh, Swift and Holyfield went over 100 yards. Jake Fromm had a huge day. Justin Fields came in, chipped in with a few big runs. Uh, again, they kind of use him as a running back. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that just you watch the game and, you know, Snell ran for 73 yards. He did score. Um, I will say that he went over 1,000 uh, in this game, but he, he was held to under 100 yards, which is something that not a lot of teams have been able to do. Um, and you know, they, uh, you know, Kentucky just didn't look like they were able to hang in this game. But coach, um, I, I will say though, you did text me at one point saying they make Terry Wilson look like Russell Wilson. I did text you that because he had a good uh, game. He had a pretty he good, he did. He really did. And I texted you that he was like seven of his first seven, something like that. I, I think he, he was on fire and uh, he was, he was throwing balls in there that, like uh, over the last couple of games, uh, Terry Wilson could only could only complete fast screens. Mm-hmm. That's how incompetent he looked coming into this game. Yeah, especially against um, Missouri. Yeah, especially against Missouri. And I, I, I'm trying to give you a little context here. And then he comes in. I mean, he's a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. He he can throw. I, I you know that's probably a little bit hyperbolic of me to uh, to say that you know. He can't throw at all, but I mean, he'd been struggling and rightfully so. But he came out and made some really brilliant throws, uh, especially one. There was a digger out that he threw. Uh, it was about a 15-yard throw, but he th- there was a defender on the on on the back of his intended receiver. Uh, there was another safety closing in to to close that window, and it was closing fast. And he he threw a he fired a pellet in there, and there was only one spot you could have put that put that ball. Um, and not a gotten the receiver killed. B um, the the trailing defender could have swatted it away, and he stuck it right in that spot. And it was a completed pass. The defender was able to stop on a dime, corkscrew, 
and gain another eight yards. So um, that was probably Terry Wilson's best throw of the day. But um, to kind of sum this up, J.R. Reed said this quote. He said, we understand that Benny Snell was maybe the next Herschel Walker or something like that. He said, he continued to say, we just wanted to come out and prove that there's only one Herschel. I'm sure you love to hear that. Yeah, it it, it was good. I was like. That, that, that's red meat to a Georgia fan right there. I know. that That's uh, uh, red blooded dog loving American as someone described on the, on the message board. but uh yeah that, that was that was a pretty cool quote to see but I mean it was good to see that Jeremiah Holloman was once again uh heavily involved in the offense Riley Ridley had a huge day I think Cole is a little bit more banged up than he led on yeah um, I don't they said they're not sure if he's gonna play next week yeah and 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 rightfully so he he uh he had a one of the kickoff returns or maybe it was a punt return that he kind of, I think he kind of got up gingerly. You never really saw him for the rest of the game. So um, he, he wasn't really much of a factor and honestly didn't need to be. Uh, Charlie Warner caught a touchdown. He's uh, he's the other tight end. Isaac Nada had a, had a pretty decent day. I mean, it's just, there's just a lot of offensive weapons and uh, Jake Fromm was getting a lot of people involved in this one. So, it was good to see that, that that this Georgia offense just kind of finally woke up and and finally started fast, and that that was the biggest key. Is just you know they haven't really started that that quickly, um, it pretty much all season, I should say. So uh, it, it was kind of an all around complete game for Georgia. Um, again, the score was honestly it was kind of more lopsided than the score would indicate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Usually you can say, well, that score, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. But this game was, was one of those where you're like, well, how's it? They were killing them at one point. How, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't see it, but okay. Hey, they blew them out. Uh, Josh, you know, I know that in your poll, your last two teams in for the playoff, or the, I should say the two teams that would be competing for your spinal final spot are these Georgia Bulldogs and uh, the team we just talked about, Michigan. Uh, what do you think sort of uh, – how do you split the hairs between these two teams? Well, Michigan hasn't had a second bite at an elite team, Apple. Uh, they played Notre Dame very early in the year and came up short on that one. So I'm going to be looking at how do they handle Ohio State. Same thing with Georgia. I mean, Florida is a nice team, but not an elite team. And Georgia struggled with LSU. Correct, Coach? Yeah. So I want to see how Georgia looks and what they've already clinched, the SEC title game. So to me, that's going to be the hair to split. The X factor for all these teams is if Notre Dame wins out, how do you not have them in? So, um, but, but it's really nice that we have five power conferences for a four-team tournament. So that makes a whole lot of sense. I'm, I'm calling it here. Notre Dame is not winning out. They are losing in the Carrier Dome Ooh. next week. Ooh. I'm not sure we've had a prediction that bold since Kansas over Texas. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I, am, I am slurping up that orange Kool-Aid right now. Yeah, you are. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, different shade of orange did not do as well this weekend. 
Um, they came up just short in a good old-fashioned shootout in Austin. Mountaineers came out on top 42-41 thanks to some uh, pretty gutsy plate calling by Dana Holgerson going for two and getting it with 16 seconds left in the game to go on top 42-41. Josh, I know you love hating on both of these coaches. <laughs> But you've got to at least give Holgerson a little credit for, for that play. I know that, you know, we're probably judging by the end result. And if, it, if they don't get it, we're saying, oh, my God, what was he thinking? Just get the tie and play for overtime, blah, blah, blah. But I just love the moxie he showed. And he left in the hands of Will Greer. Uh, he's on the short list for second-best quarterback in America. So I, would you give Holgerson any credit for, for that? Well, I mean – what do they say about like when it's a fourth and one and you don't get it? It's like, what's that say about your team that you don't have the confidence that you can get one yard? I mean, West Virginia had 578 yards on Texas's crappy defense. He's probably sitting there thinking, dude, it's two yards. Of course we can get two yards on this pathetic defense. So I think it was a great call. You know, put your money where your mouth is. And that's what Dana Holgerson did. And I mentioned it previewing the show that Texas's defense, everyone was like, you know, slurping them to steal your word, Matt. Um, they hadn't played anybody other than Oklahoma, and their defense was shredded by Oklahoma. I think what's amazing is all the silly mistakes West Virginia did to keep this game close, including you don't see a t- team do this very often and win the game. West Virginia had 14 penalties for 120 yards. Did did we did we lose Josh? No, we didn't. Um, I think you guys lost Matt. No, it, that is pretty weird that you get that many penalties and still win. Uh, two more touchdowns for David Sills, West Virginia. He's now got 11 on the season, second in the country, tied with JJ Arcega Whiteside. And Andy Isabella, who I don't know if you guys have been following. And uh, Alex you, Hornerbrook. <laughs> UMass football this year. I assume that you're not. But well, they're a little bit improved. Well, their offense is putting up some point, And Andy Isabella has been absolutely going off. His last game against Liberty, crazy win in three overtimes. Uh, nine catches for 303 yards and two scores. Mm. Yeah. Um, Previously, he uh, had put up a run of games with 198, 191, and 174 in three consecutive weeks. Uh, uh, I mean, they've won. They've won four games this year. That's a a a pinch better product. Yeah. Well, they play the they play the dogs in two weeks, so I'll get to see. I'll get to see what they're all about. Uh, Coach, would you be willing to lose the Massachusetts game if it meant you would upset Alabama? In the title game, if it meant we upset Alabama in the title game, if we upset Alabama in the title game, do we still go to the playoff? I, I don't know. You're relying on the committee to uh, make that decision. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I guess I'd take my chances. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I that's would. a tough question. I, I think I probably would. I think I would take that deal. That that is a good question. I, I we should pose that to all the Georgia fans out there. God. <laughs> or, or, actually, actually, no, no. I I have an even an even tougher question for you, Coach. Would okay. you lose to Georgia Tech if it meant that you upset Alabama in the title game? 
Um, let's put it this way. I might be willing to lose any game if it meant we could uh, upset Alabama in the title game. All right. Well, uh, it's for the title game in the Big 12. Uh, Coach, do you think it's going to end up being this West Virginia team that just won, or do you think that uh, – well, Iowa State actually has the tiebreaker over them, I believe. Uh, but do you think that West Virginia uh, – is Iowa State now in a pole position to be number two in the Big 12? Do you know? Uh, that would be a Josh question. I'm not. I'm not exactly positive. Let me see. So uh, uh, Oklahoma no. has a tie- Oklahoma has a tiebreaker over Iowa State. Oklahoma and West Virginia get to play. I believe that it's the finale for both teams. I- Iowa State, Iowa State has the tiebreaker over West Virginia. Iowa State has Texas left on their schedule. But West Virginia is five and one in conference right now. So if they win out, yeah, yeah, that's right. So if West West Virginia. It controls their own destiny as it as it is. I'll, I'll it tell was. you who doesn't is Kansas State. They're one. <laughs> nope. I think some people for why Iowa State is still um, listed as a team that can make the title game, as I think most people are operating the, under the assumption that West Virginia doesn't pull the upset of Oklahoma. Right. Yeah, yeah. that if, makes if sense. They, if they drop down to two losses, then um, I. West Virginia is going to need a little bit of help if they can't beat Oklahoma. But um, but then Iowa State's going to have to win at Texas. Again, have you seen Texas? I have. They, they, can, means, they I, can win at Texas. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm this, just saying. This Iowa State team, I think, is legit. Uh, they really got to worry about, though, uh, last game of the season, they're playing Incarnate Word. <laughs> San Antonio's uh, tough this time of year. Uh, uh, th- no, that's one of those goofy uh, makeup games. They had their opener against San, uh, against uh, South Dakota State. Oh, yeah. South Dakota State. Yeah. Oh, Akron was uh, Akron was Nebraska, but yeah, there was some weird uh, Midwest weather way back. Yeah. So okay, well, let's get to the final game before we go even further off the rails. Uh, Northwestern looked to be in it at times, but the Wildcats dug themselves too big a hole in the third quarter to complete the comeback against the Irish at home. Ian Book uh, had possibly his best game as a starter, and now uh, the Irish are 9-0. Josh, what was your biggest takeaway from this one? I guess it's just um, Northwestern didn't do the things that they had to do to pull the upset. Um, No takeaway – or, excuse me, they had just one takeaway, but I felt like they needed to do more – in regards to that, I talked about how they might need to find a way to manufacture uh, some non-traditional points. Well, they didn't really get much out of their punt return game. They didn't get anything from their kick return game. Um, not that it really mattered since they lost by 10, but they also missed a field goal. So a few points left out on the field with that. Northwestern played a really good game. N- Northwestern had a nice comeback in the fourth quarter only lost by 10 to a, the fourth-ranked team. So it, it's, you know, it's Northwestern playing above their heads. Usually that keeps them in the game like it does right now. And when they do pull an upset, it's because they do one of those uh, little things like win the turnover margin by such a wide thing that it gives them those extra possessions or they have a defensive touchdown, special teams touchdown, things like that. Um, but this 
you know, Northwestern's just playing with house money. I'm sure, I'm sure the opponent helped them be a little bit energized, but after seeing Iowa lose to Purdue, knowing they have the head-to-head tiebreaker on Wisconsin, I'm sure some complacency slipped in just a tad, knowing that Northwestern's out of the national title race. So this game was kind of meaningless from that. But if they win next week in Iowa City, they've won the division pretty much. Yeah, that's that's going to be a big one next week. Uh, Coach, that brings me to a question. Uh, you know, Northwestern is in the catbird seat in the Big Ten West. So my question for you, what is the worst division in uh, Power Five football? Is it A, the ACC Coastal, uh, which, may I remind you, has Pitt, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Duke, Miami, and North Carolina. Pitt's the only team that controls their own destiny. Uh, the Big Ten West, uh, Northwestern, Wisconsin, Purdue, Iowa, Illinois, Nebraska, Minnesota. Okay. Uh, Northwestern is a team that controls its own destiny. Or the Pac-12 South, which includes Utah, USC, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and UCLA. Oof. Uh, I think both of those divisions would steamroll the ACC Coastal. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say A, the ACC yeah, Coastal. I would agree. I would agree because in the Big Ten, at least, I think it's a case of good, not great teams, but good teams have flaws that good coaches are taking advantage of. And I think, you know, you take Purdue, let's say, and drop them in the ACC. Well, they did have an ACC opponent this year, and they absolutely drubbed Boston College. So, which is from the better of the two divisions. So, I do think that the Big Ten isn't necessarily winning beauty contests, but I, I do think it might be the best of those three divisions, Matt. Um, just an FYI, the team that controls its own destiny in the South is, drumroll please, no drumroll, okay, uh, the, Arizona, the Arizona State Sun Devils. Eh. Seriously, <laughs> it's the Sun Devils. Uh, that's they have the tiebreaker over USC and Utah, the two teams, uh, the two and three teams ahead of them in the standings. The other one is Arizona, who they play. That's funny, but they're still not better than the they're, – they're still not worse than the ACC Coastal. I don't know. It's not good. It's not pretty down there. U- Everyone has at least – Utah would win going away. They okay. would win that division going away. Okay. That's why this is why I asked the question. I need clarification. Colorado kind of thing. would win that division going well, away. The thing that sucks for Utah is they just have their quarterback got hurt. Totally yes. is gonna derail their season. Yes. Because he had been playing um, out of his mind. Yeah. I will say this though, guess who's now tied for first? Arizona Wildcats. I know. But they don't it, control their own destiny. I don't care. What happens if they win the division? Guys laughed at me in our pregame show. Well, we will certainly take our medicine. <laughs> I, I, I get a mulligan because uh, my quarterback got injured. You know, you, you know I've been riding Utah. You know I've been riding Utah hard. Utah. 
I'm not sure that's how it works. Okay. Okay. Well then, um, I think we have gone off the rails enough for one evening. So Josh, uh, any final words from you? Well, they were off this week, so we did not uh, bury any lead of any kind. Uh, But I did want to touch on one weird story, and that is the Army Knights. They won. They moved to 7-2. and They're still ranked in my poll. But they have a prank that injured the Air Force Falcon and not the mascot, like the actual physical bird. So... Yes, I'm all for fun pranks and, you know, taking the opponent's mascot head. Fine, that's like cutesy stuff. When you come up with the idea of kidnapping a live bird, just pause and look in the mirror and go, what the hell is wrong with me right now? That is a very good point, Josh. There there is a time and a place for pranks, but, like, Coach, you know, do you know what that deserves? Come on, man. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I, we have reached peak illegal motion. Uh, Coach, any final words from you? Uh, after that, nope. All right. Well, that's going to do oh, it for us. Hey, wait. Oh. You guys, this just in. Uh, two lanes scored again on South Florida. <laughs> Ouch. We will be back later this week uh, to preview, uh, you know, all the games for week 11. So until then, on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois, this is the professor in Nashville saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Go, 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 go. Yes, another touchdown for Tulane. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.